All right. I'm Dave Hunsinger. I'm going to read from John chapter 14. Jesus says, Do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me. If in my Father's house are many rooms, if it were not so, I would have told you. I am going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that you may also be where I am. You know the way to the place where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going, so how can we know the way? Jesus answered, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really knew me, you would know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. This is the word of the Lord. Welcome to Worship on the Water. How many of you, this is your first time? Okay, several of you. Thank you for coming. How many of you are from someplace other than here? In other words, you don't belong to our church. Yeah, that's what I thought. You know, in the summertime, my church disappears. I don't know if it's because you all come. No, they go on vacation. We're very welcome. You're very welcome. We're so glad that you're here. We, uh, we do this every Sunday for 12 weeks in the amphitheater, assuming it's not snowing or raining. And uh, it sometimes does both, doesn't it? And so we very much enjoy being out here. Let me start with a prayer, and then I have a question for you. Father, we, uh, we sit here and we just look at these incredible views of the mountains over the reservoir. And we are so delighted, we are so privileged, and we are so thankful to be here. And we feel very blessed. Thank you for the very great privilege. Thank you for the privilege of being called your children. That is a privilege as well. And Father, we uh, pray that you would laugh at us today, you would guide us, that you would help us to make sense of some of Jesus' words, and that you would bring life to us. That's what we desire. In uh, the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Okay. <clears throat> you ever wonder why Jesus left? Why did he go away? You know, I think it would be a blast to sit with him. As most of you know, I spend a portion of my week out in coffee shops and restaurants and bars talking to people. and I just love to have a drink with him and say, what do you think about immigration in the wall? I get asked that question all the time. What do I think about the wall? What I say is, I have no idea what to think about the wall. That's a strategy question. I can tell you as a theologian what I think about immigration. In fact, this fall, we're going to tackle some of these complex issues because we're about to enter a nasty presidential race. And so we're going to talk about some of these things and put them on the table. And so I get asked that question. I would love to sit with him and say, what do you think about the wall? What do you think about this? What do you think about the, um, the candidates we have before us? What do you think about our current president? What do you think what's happening in Great Britain? I just came from Cambridge, as many of you know. Brexit is a big topic over there. Uh, our presidential election is a big topic here. Brexit's a big topic over there. What do you think about Brexit? Wouldn't you just love to have Jesus here to ask all these questions? And what do you think about that? Why did he have to leave? Why didn't he just stay here? You ever ponder that? 
Seems like it'd be better if he just stayed here. Apparently not because he said, no, it's not. We're in a series. We, if you go way back to the beginning of the year, we spent quite a bit of time talking about holiness and really worked through what is holiness. And I define holiness in the concept of invitation. Holiness, it is an invitation to enter into a relationship with the Lord the way you were designed to live. That's what it is. It's not a bunch of rules and regulations. It's far deeper than that. It's entering into a relationship. And so then we, for the summer, we're doing a series called uh, Life Outside the Cage. And I presented that metaphor the very first week. We've been using it every week that, that when we, before we turn to Christ, we're kind of stuck in this cage. Um, I, I mentioned circuses. That's one place you can see it. You can see it at zoos and other places as well where you have animals living in cages. I remember as a young boy, my dad taking me to the zoo. And we went back in the back, and all these animals are in the cages. And, I mean, they're pretty content. They're being taken care of, and I don't think they're being abused. Maybe they're, I don't know, but, but they're pretty content. But is that what God created them for? To live in a cage? The answer is no. When you turn to Christ, the cage door gets opened. And so we've been looking at the role of the Holy Spirit all summer that the role that he plays as we begin to take the step out of the cage. What is life like? If we had opened those cages and let those animals who had been domesticated out, they would have survived. And most of you have pets, and you know what we're talking about. They wouldn't survive, would they? And so neither would we. We're not created to be in the cage. We're created to be out of the cage But there's no way we can survive outside the cage without the Holy Spirit. Okay, so Jesus just told the disciples he's going away. Now look at it from their perspective. They're thinking the Messiah is going to come and start a new, uh, return the the glory of, of God to the kingdom and let them rise back up like they did under David, King David, and no longer be occupied by the Romans. And, and now he's telling him he's going to die, and then he just tells them he's going to leave. He's going to leave them. It's hard to imagine what that would have been like. I, I try to put myself back in those shoes, and it's got to be confusing, disorienting. Maybe they're afraid. Well, they even say, where are you going? We don't know the place that you're going. They don't realize it that they do know. They don't realize that. Can you picture that? The Messiah has come and he's finally convinced them that he's the Messiah. And then he says, I'm going to die and I'm going away. You're on your own. Sadly, that's often how we lead life, live life, isn't it? Oh, we give lip service to the Holy Spirit. We talk about him. But do we really believe that he's with us? Do we really believe that Jesus did not leave? He's with us? I've been in lots of churches over the years where the idea of prayer is, uh, let's start our business meeting. Oh, wait, make sure, uh, would somebody like to pray for us? We've got to get our perfunctory prayer in, right? As opposed to developing that deeper longing to be with the Lord. That deeper longing. During my interview process, the elders asked me 
transition team, they asked me, what are my, what's my devotional life like? What's my quiet times like? And I said, what do you mean by that? Well, how many quiet times do you have? You know, do you have how, when do you do your quiet times? I said, I don't. I don't have a prayer time. I enjoy the walk of praying all day long. And I do pray all throughout the day. I love picking up my scriptures and reading them, which I do throughout the day. I enjoy that. So there's a sense in which I don't have a marked time. Maybe I should. Oh, I much prefer having it done all throughout the day. You know, I'm getting ready to have coffee with a couple that is perhaps on the road to divorce. I love taking a few moments and just saying, God, I need your help. You said ask for wisdom. Give me wisdom. How am I supposed to love these people? How am I supposed to reach out to these people? I never know what my coffees are going to be like. I never know when I'm going to get thrown some curveball. And so I pray constantly. Sometimes when I'm sitting with you and you're presenting something to me, I start praying while you're talking to me. Okay, God, I need help right now. You guys are crazy. (laughs) The things that you throw at me, it's fascinating. And they're being told he's leaving what would you do? Then he says something very, very interesting in John 14. First of all, he starts off by saying, do not let your hearts be troubled. So you see, he knows the reality of the situation for them. He knows that their faith is about to get stretched and tested in ways that they never dreamed of. You ever been there? You ever had your faith tested and stretched beyond what you thought was possible? Yeah? He says, don't let your hearts be troubled. I'm going to come back for you. But then he says in verse 15, I will, or 16, I will ask the Father and he will give you another advocate. Another. That means there's a first. Who's the first advocate? Jesus. John, come on up here. We have to talk just for a moment about what does this word mean, Advocate. There's a lot, of, um, a lot of discussions. Many of your older translations will use words like comforter and all of that. And I agree with modern scholarship that that's not the best translation. The Holy Spirit is a comforter, but not because of this passage here. I actually think this is a technical term being used, what we would think of as an attorney, a defense attorney. And um, Dave, did you take that microphone? Uh, he's going to need it because I'm about to embarrass him. So he needs something to scream through. (laughs) So, John, are the rumors true that you're an attorney? Yes. We have an attorney in church. (laughs) Isn't that amazing? Who would have thought that was possible? Any other attorneys out here? Let me see if you're an attorney. Oh, wow. Wow. We'll have special prayer over here for you guys afterwards. Well, let let me just interject that never read your text at 8 in the morning on Sunday morning when the pastor says, could I talk to you before church? This is what happens. Exactly. So you're an attorney. I am. What does an attorney do? We're a lot like the Holy Spirit, Jim. (laughs) We counsel people. People get into trouble. We're there to assist them, to guide them through their 
Well, hopefully most people don't have civil lawsuits or criminal prosecutions against them all the time. So when it happens, it's new. So they're, they're, re- they're turning to us to give them guidance, to be their advocate, to counsel them. Did you know that I was in, I was in, court, I was in court this week? Oh, again? <laughs> 40 years ago, you could have said that because on my 18th birthday, I got stopped or arrested my 18th time. What? No lie. See what Jesus did for me? But I was in... You're an amazing God. <laughs> All powerful. <laughs> so I was in court this week. I wasn't going to say anything, but Jason Ardell walked in and saw me there. And you can't trust Jason. Now that Jason knows, the whole church is going to find out. Uh, I got a speeding ticket. So, by the way, thank you all of you that while I was getting the ticket written and you're driving by waving at me, (laughs) you didn't have to do that. (laughs) I didn't think your Jeep went that fast. Yeah, I was in Nancy's car. (laughs) That big red Toyota that shines. Yeah. So they uh, they said it's a. They asked me some questions about who I was, and I told them I was a pastor here at the church and. By the way, they said, uh, the police officer that I was working through all this with, she was presenting all my options, she said, you're part of Dillon Community Church. And I said, yes. She said, we love your church. And I said, thank you, but why? (laughs) And she said, because your people are always so kind to us. Uh, We have people in the church that bring goodies and things to them throughout the year and encourage them, the police department, and they know us. And... uh, and so she asked me some questions, and she said, well... I'm glad they just didn't know you at sight. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> she said, so the, what the police officer wrote on your ticket was true about you. I said, what she wrote about me? She turns it over, and there's a whole long section about um, how I had interacted with her. Mm-hmm. And I was polite to her and all that. And she told me that she gets uh, challenged and accused and yelled at and cussed at all the time. As a policeman, I'm going, oh, I'm so sorry. I live here. I'm, I was speeding. <laughs> What can I say? Just just a little word of advice? Don't speed. No? Well, you can speed. But on the back of the ticket, you get the the top sheet. The cops turn it over before, after you get, well, you get yours. They write notes about description, about attitude, all of that. So just beware that they're they're making notes about how you behave with them at a traffic stop. And I asked her, why are those notes written down there? And she points, she said, you see that person over there? Say, so, yeah, that's the prosecuting attorney. Yeah. And I said, okay, what does that mean? That, she said, that means that if you had had a bad attitude or custom out, you would have been given none of these options. In fact, we might have doubled your fine. Mm-hmm. And it's like, oh, so you pay attention. Yeah. So that's what an attorney does. They represent you, and they help you, and they bring counsel. And, uh, and advocate for you and advocate. get you through a stressful time, much like the Holy Spirit. Jim, the Holy Spirit yeah. and attorneys like this. Wow. You never thought of it before, but... No, didn't quite think of it that way. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks for coming up. Here, go give that to Dave. Why do you need an advocate? Have you done something wrong? That's not the reason. That's not the reason. You see, he starts just before that verse. He says, if you love me, keep my commands, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever. Forever. 
Didn't he just say in the Great Commission, I will never leave you, I'll be with you forever? Didn't he say earlier in his teachings, I will never leave you nor forsake you? And all of a sudden he's sending another advocate who's different than him because we need help. Why do we need help? Well, there's several reasons for that, I believe. I mean, we are, remember the, the metaphor, we are stepping out of the cage. We're coming alive. One of the metaphors we used earlier in the summer was, it's like your arm is asleep, and when you turn to Christ, it starts to, the blood starts flowing, and it starts to wake up, and that's really uncomfortable because you don't really know what to do, and you have to wait until you get through that. And stepping out of the cage, coming to Christ, often is hard for people. It's harder than it is in the beginning sometimes than it is later on because you're waking up and you're realizing who you are. You're realizing your own sinfulness. You're realizing that the Lord had to forgive you. And so he said he's going to send us an advocate to help us. But there's another reason. Because when we step out of the cage, you see it's very safe and secure. And when we step out of the cage, it's no longer safe and secure. It's now a hostile environment. For those of you that have like pets, dogs and cats, you let them go, they're not going to survive if they've been domesticated. It's a hostile environment. So we're going to jump all the way over to chapter 16 and look at what he says here. I asked you in the beginning, why did he leave? Wouldn't it be better for him to stay? And he says, no, no. In verse 7, he says, I, t- I tell you, it is for your good that I'm going away. Unless I go away, the advocate, this is the Holy Spirit, will not come to you, but if I go, I will send him to you. So apparently God the Father and God the Son think that we need another advocate. Then it's in our best interest to learn everything we can about him. This Holy Spirit. If they think it's best in our best interest for Jesus to leave and the Spirit to come, we need to know why, don't we? We need to understand why. And this is what life outside the cage is like in a very hostile environment. The world does not like us. They never will. That's why it's important that as we learn to live lives of faith and we learn to love people, we begin to draw others to us, to Christ, through our lives. Because if we're not careful, we become the objects of hatred. We've talked about that more than once as a church. I was so blessed. I didn't want the tickets. Don't get me wrong. By the way, the way the ticket came about was I stopped at a stoplight in Silverthorne, and they had a little 100-yard section of construction, and all these cars are behind us, and I'm in the right. And so it says merge to make one lane. I sped up for six seconds to get in front of the car, and I slowed down. I don't speed. I haven't gotten a ticket in 40 years. But there's this thing called radar gun and six seconds in life. And she caught me on those six seconds. So she said, if you'd like to contest it, here's how you can test it. And I said, ma'am, what would I contest? I was speeding. <laughs> and she said, oh, I get accused of racism, bigotry. I get accused of all kinds of things. And I go, oh, you're kidding. She said, no, that's the norm. She said, in fact, I really can't remember the last time I gave a ticket and anybody was pleasant and smiled. And I said, I'm so sorry. And then when I went there and heard all these policemen sitting around the table talk about how much they love our church, yes, yes. It's the best thing a pastor can hear. Thank you 
Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for living out your faith. Thank you. But here's what he says. This advocate will come to you. When he comes, first of all, he will prove the world to be in the wrong about sin, righteousness, and judgment. This idea of prove the world is this idea of conviction. You know, here he's almost acting as a prosecuting attorney. He's going to convict the world. And he goes on and explains it about sin, verse 9, because people do not believe in me. Here's the charge. The charge he's bringing to these people, they don't believe. This goes back to the garden. The fundamental question God asked Adam and Eve was, do you trust me? You got the whole creation at your disposal except one tree. And the implied question is, do you trust me? And the answer is no. And that's the charge. He's charging them with sin because they do not believe in him. And then he says about righteousness, now he's going to introduce the standard. Here's the standard by which everybody's going to be compared. Righteousness. How righteous are you? How holy are you? Let me ask it a different way. I love doing it in the classroom with students. How holy do you, I say, how holy are you? Are you, a, are you holy? Most of the time they say, no, not really. You know, okay, how holy do you have to be to enjoy God's presence? 100%. So what are you, 32%? 46 71. What percentage holiness are you? So it's fascinating in Hebrews chapter 10 when he says, for by the will of God you have been declared holy once for all time. That's how holy you are. So here's the standard concerning righteousness because I'm going to the Father where you can see me no longer. You see, his, his death, burial, resurrection, and ascension is the proof, the evidence of the faith, their faith. Judas fell away. The rest of them did not. Oh, he had to go do some work to recapture them. They kind of, they kind of betrayed him, denied him. They did all that stuff. But he, he, he corralled them all and brought them all back. That was the evidence. So the standard is righteousness. And then he goes on and he says, and about judgment, because the prince of this world now stands condemned. Guilty guilty and we learn from this one little verse right here that behind all of our sin stands someone bigger a deceiver an accuser we have that story with job don't we god says what do you think about job he's a righteous man and what has Satan said? Of course. It's because you put your hedge of protection around him. I've said many times, the last thing I want to hear in life is for Satan to say to God, or God to say to Satan, have you considered my servant Jim? I'd much rather say, have you considered my servant Mark? <laughs> Leave me out of it. Guilty. Behind all of our deceit, all of our sin, behind all of it, stands someone in the shadows bigger than us who is working desperately day and night to get us to trip up and fall. That's what life outside the cage is. And so no wonder we need the Holy Spirit. So Jesus is saying here that I'm not leaving you alone. That's not it at all. You're never going to be alone from here on out. You're never going to be alone for the rest of eternity. I will be with you the Father will be with you, and the Spirit will be with you. So then he goes on back to chapter 14, and he talks about this Spirit. 
Um, he said he's going, he'll be, I'll send you another advocate to help you and be with you forever, the spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him for he lives with you and will be with you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Before long, the world will not see me, Jesus, anymore. Now, this is startling, but you will see me. We have this picture of Jesus up in heaven. He's gone. That's a bad picture. Even in Revelation, Jesus is standing in the churches. He's there. He's with us right here. He's standing right here. He's with us today. You will see me. So right off the bat, we learned that he's, the Holy Spirit is continuing the presence and the ministry of Jesus. That's what he's doing. He goes on, because I live, you also will live. On that day, you will realize that I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. Whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. He just repeated that in verse 15, if you love me, keep my commands. So here he says it a second time. The one who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love them and will show myself to them. This is a very important verse in John. It's a very important verse. You see, because, because of the Spirit's presence, we can still see Jesus. But more importantly than that is that Jesus decides that whoever loves and obeys him, that they will experience that type of spiritual life that he's talking about. I will show myself to them. Jesus shows himself to whoever he wants. It's based on obedience. He said just a little bit earlier, we read this chapter a, week, a couple weeks ago, uh, we read this verse where he was being tested and he said, he was asked, how do we know that your teaching is true? And so he says, he's at the Festival of Tabernacles. He says, if you hold to my teaching, you're really my disciples. And if you hold to my teaching, then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. You will know that I am true. That's what he's saying. We'll know it. Because when you start to live according to the principles of Christianity, you begin to experience that freedom outside the cage. Some of you are recovering alcoholics. You know exactly what it means to be stuck in prison. I'm not talking about jail down here. I'm talking about prison of morality. Alcoholism destroys your life, doesn't it? And you know what it's like to be let out of that prison and experience that freedom, that prison. That's what he's talking about here. If you obey his commands, you begin to experience something you've never seen before or felt before. It's called freedom, which is what you're created for. And then he begins to reveal himself to you. How does that work? How does it actually work organically? How does it work? Let me give you a suggestion. How many of you have ever met somebody that's not very forgiving? Let me see. They're just a mean old cuss, right? Do you like being with them? No. The more they refuse to forgive, the harder they get. That's what happens. And then when you start forgiving people, not because they deserve it, Remember that. You don't forgive because people apologize. Ephesians 5, forgive one another because Christ in heaven has already forgiven you. 
and you start that journey of forgiving people long before the Spirit does His work in their life for them to repent. You forgive them at the hardest moment when they're the most hostile. When you learn to do that and you start forgiving people and you practice this and you forgive so-and-so and you forgive so-and-so and you forgive so-and-so, you begin to realize this is really hard. It's very hard to forgive people. It's one short step to gaze into heaven and say, is that what it was like forgiving me? And that's when the Lord says, yes, it was hard. It cost me my life. And then you begin to experience Jesus in ways you had never dreamed because you learned to forgive. And that's what he says. If you obey me, I will show myself to you. It's not magical. It's not mystical. It's through the behaviors and disciplines of living a faithful life that you begin to capture a sense of God must really forgive me. Look what he did. Well, then he goes on from there, the very next verse, anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. You get the feeling that love and obedience are tied together. It's wrapped up all throughout here. Um, But then he goes on in verse 26. Verse 25, all this I have spoken while I'm still with you, but the advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything that I have said to you. There's no new teaching. The Holy Spirit's not bringing a new curriculum. He's going to remind us and explain to us everything Jesus said. So, the Holy Spirit keeps us in the presence of Jesus, right? The Holy Spirit helps us continue the ministry of Jesus, and the Holy Spirit explains the teachings of Jesus. That's what the Holy Spirit does. You see why he's so important? Life outside the cage. You take that step out of the cage, and what Jesus is saying, you're not alone. You're not alone. You have the Holy Spirit here who is accusing the world and taking care of the world and is doing this to us, teaching us. But what unlocks that power is a desire to love, is a desire to genuinely obey what God asks us to do. It's learning to say no to sin. It really is. And that raises a question we've asked numerous times. Are you really willing to trust the Lord even when you don't understand? Because quite honestly, every time we're faced with that decision to say no to sin, we don't really get it. Because sin, let's face it, sin is enticing. Let's be honest. I've talked to several of you who have done everything from pornography to adultery, all that. It's exciting. Let's be honest about that. It doesn't take very long, though, before you find yourself back in the cage imprisoned, no longer happy. It's hard to say no. That takes more discipline than you have. That's why the Holy Spirit is here to walk on with you side by side every step of the way. And every time you say yes when you should have said no, he's right there. He's right there. Whether you lust after somebody, sleep with somebody, lie, whatever it is you're doing, whether you're being greedy, whatever you're doing, he's right there with you. You're not alone. 
He's right there doing his very gentle thing, tapping you on the shoulder. Hey, sure you want to do that? You want to do that? You see, Proverbs gives us a very good picture of what the Christian life is like. You have two routes, two pathways that you can follow. You can follow the pathway of foolishness or the pathway of righteousness. The pathway of foolishness and folly and sin promises excitement, and it delivers for a very short period of time. And then you crash and burn. The pathway to righteousness promises deep joy, which is what you were created for. It doesn't deliver it right away. It's kind of like having to wait for Christmas when you were a kid. You see the packages out there. Everything you want, you want to rip them open. You have to be patient. And then over time, Christmas comes, and you get the joy. And so this path over here, it takes longer, but produces a much deeper sense of joy. That's the role of the Holy Spirit, is to guide us. We're not alone. We step out of that cage with Christ. We begin to wake up. Blood starts circulating. Life gets hard, let's be honest. It does get hard and challenging for us as Christians. There's no question about it. And we begin to practice. No, no, we're going to walk by faith. And the Holy Spirit is strengthening us. And we say yes. And then all of a sudden he taps us on the shoulder and says, hold on, hold on. It's called conviction. Come on, let's get you back over here. And then over time, we begin to experience joy. That's the role of the Holy Spirit. He is vital. So when Jesus said, I have to go away, everything in us says, that doesn't seem like a good idea. And he says, yes, it is. Because he's going to be there to explain everything to you, to protect you from the world, to guide you, to teach you, to continue all the things. I love Acts 1, Acts chapter 1. He's writing, and here's what he says. We'll finish with this. In my former book, Theophilus, Luke, he's he's talking about Luke, I wrote about all the things that Jesus began to do. You see, when he said it is finished, he wasn't talking about his work. He's talking about his atonement on the cross. Wrote about all the things that Jesus began to do and to teach until he was taken up to heaven. That means that all that Jesus began is still what we're all about. We enjoy the presence of Jesus. We enjoy the ministry of Jesus. We enjoy the teaching of Jesus. And that comes because of the Holy Spirit. Are you willing to trust the Lord? Even when you don't understand or agree? You willing to trust him and put one foot in front of the other? Keep walking by faith? Believing by hope that there's a future joy that's coming far better than today. If you've already done that, you're already experiencing more joy today than you did yesterday. That's my guess. That's why the Holy Spirit's important. We're not alone. Father, thank you. Thank you for sending us another advocate, somebody to represent us, to counsel us, to guide us, to walk with us, somebody to teach us, somebody to help us enjoy your presence, somebody to help us continue the ministry that Jesus started, somebody to hold at bay the world and the hostilities of the world 
somebody to protect us, somebody to convict the world because we can't do that. That's not within our power. Somebody to convict the world so that when they look at us, they can see the truth and they can say, I want to be part of that. Thank you for sending him. Thank you for not leaving us alone. In your son's name we pray. Amen.